the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Hey, we've got a kind of a special show here today. Uh, we have Rich Matthews, who is RBC's wealth planning consultant with us. He's a hockey player, too, for all you St. Ed and St. Ignatius fans. And Rich, I was wondering, could you just give us a brief description of what you do? Sure. Thanks, Tim, for having me on the call. Yeah, so my role is that of a wealth planning consultant. And what I do is I help our financial advisors with RBC uh, work with their clients to develop uh, what we call our, our wealth planning uh, tool. And, and what that is, is just our financial planning software uh, just enables us to uh, to get a better picture uh, and to enable uh, you know us to, to give our clients and our and our, uh, and our um, prospects uh, just a, a really good picture of where they are uh, and, and help them uh, in the future to develop what that retirement looks like for them. Very good. You know, I, I always said that, uh, you know, I always tell everybody about the Cheshire cat, you know, and Alice walks up to the Cheshire cat and she says, which road should I take? And the Cheshire Cat says, well, where are you trying to get to? And she says, I'm not sure. And he says, well, either road will take you there. So, mm-hmm. you know, we try to take an informal situation where we've been talking to you about your investments a long time and turn it into a formal situation. But tell me, what does a typical wealth planning meeting agenda look like to you? Sure. Well, um, and there's uh, none of them are really that typical. It's Everybody's different. And I always tell uh, our clients that is that, you know, you really don't know what retirement is until you start living it. So what we're going to do for you is we're going to get you, you know, set on a path. Uh, we're also going to, you know, give you everything uh, needed to, to be able to stay on that path. Uh, but really, it's, it's up to, you know, us and you to, to really work and, and keep, you know, and, and make sure that what we're doing is, is what you want to do. So um, really what I try to do is I try to just listen. Um, that's the main thing that, uh, you know, I can tell everybody is, you know, when you're when you're talking to clients and, and, and when you're telling us, you know, what you're wanting to do, just, you know, what 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 are the you know expectations? You know, what are your goals in retirement? Um, you know, what do they look like? Uh, you know, is there anything in particular that you've always wanted to do? Uh, and that's what we do when we when we run our our wealth planning. Um, it's really a discovery process. So what we do is we we talk about, you know, what are your you know, your dreams, your aspirations, um, you know, what are the things that, you know, really uh, keep you up at night? Because we do talk about concerns. Uh, and what we do is we do a lot of stress testing of the plan. So really, you know, when we, when we initially, uh, you know, meet with a client or if we've, you know, if they've been clients for a long time, when we do the, when we start the financial planning process, it's just really a matter of collecting information uh, and understanding, you know, what are the pain points? What are the things that, uh, you know, that, that they're really concerned about? How do we then utilize that to, uh, you know, evaluate? The software we use, uh, it utilizes what's called Monte Carlo analysis. So the Monte Carlo analysis will give us a probability success score. 
And that probability of success, that really helps us to fine tune the plan. So normally what we do is, again, you know, we talk about you know, the goal. It's a it's goal-based planning. Uh, those goals, we, we try to establish at least three to four goals. And the way we break them up is we break them down by needs, wants, and wishes. Now, once we've established what your retirement period looks like, so when they want to retire and life expectancy, what we then do is we look at, okay, what are your basic spending goals? You know, what are, you, what are the things that are never going to go away? And, you know, what, what is that made up of? And those are after tax in today's dollars numbers. Then what we're going to do is we're going to layer onto that a couple other things. We're going to layer in healthcare. Now, the reason why we do uh, healthcare a little separately from uh, our other goals is that the main goals that we do, uh, we typically have about a two to two and a half percent inflation rate on. However, healthcare we know is going to go up. Uh, we know that it outpaces most inflation. So that's why we run it separately. We run it at around four to four and a half percent. So once we've established kind of, you know, the buckets, you know, what is, what are our needs? What are our needs buckets, our basic living expense and our health care? Then what we're going to do is we're going to look at maybe some other buckets. So what are our wants and wishes? Now, typically in retirement, you have three phases. You have your go-go, your slow-go, and your no-go. Um, it's during those phases where you know, we want to make sure during the go-go years that you have as much money and assets available to do the things that you want to do you're going to then start to slow down. And in your slow-go years, you're probably going to drop about 15% of your spending. Now, that's going to go for a certain period of time, and then you're going to eventually get into your no-go years, which is probably going to drop another 15 So the way we like to set up those goals is, like I said, we have our basic goals, uh, which is your basic spending and your health care. We have our wants, which is you know might be you know part of your go-go and your slow-go years. Uh, your wishes, which would ultimately be, you know, things that you, you, you maybe just want to see if you can accomplish or, or that can, can happen. Um, and then what we do is we put timeframes on those goals. And those, those timeframes allow us to sit then say, okay, well, after a certain period of time, you know, let's say like travel or additional discretionary spending, uh, they would eventually go away, and then you would just go back to your, ba- your basic and your health care. So that's kind of how we set things up. Uh, and the, the way I like to do it as well is, you know, we, we talk about uh, wealth plan has – couple different sections. The first section is called about you. Uh, In that section is personal information. So we find out about you. We find out about your kids. We find out about grandkids or anyone or anything that you either have goals uh, that you want to accomplish for or resources that you have currently set aside for. Uh, Also under that personal information section is the expectations and concerns. So it really helps us to have a conversation about what are the things you want to do in retirement. Are you uh, are you done working? Do you maybe want to work part-time? Do you want to maybe you're never going to retire? What type of lifestyle do you lead? Active lifestyle, quiet. Do you want to do travel? Uh, then we talk about just kind of like a variable. So is it, you know, have you thought about moving to a different home, a uh, different region, a different state? Uh, have you thought about maybe starting your own business? Is there something that you've always wanted to do? Uh, I've had clients tell me, you know, I, I, I'm really interested in, in dogs or, or, or horses. I'd really like to get into that. So that's where we develop those expectations. And then what we do is, like I mentioned about before, we talk about concern. Uh, what are, what's keeping you up at night? What are money concerns? What health concerns? What family concerns? And then once we've established what that is, those concerns will then help us that when we get through the plan, we run our analysis, we're going to get to a section called what are you afraid of? And it's in that what are you afraid of that we're able to then stress test the plan against those concerns that they have. Uh, 
So that's kind of the process that we use. Uh, we really like to, you know, it, it's, a, it's a conversation. It's not a presentation that we do with our clients. Uh, we do it very, it's all interactive. Um, you know, what, we, what I do is, you know, and I've been doing a lot of WebExes. Uh, obviously, you know, with the pandemic, uh, we haven't really been traveling too much. Uh, and that's normally my, my role is, is I travel. I cover um, Chicago area. I cover uh, upstate New York and I cover Pittsburgh. So normally I'm out in the branches meeting actual face-to-face with clients. Um, but we've been doing this uh, via WebEx, and it's actually it's actually worked out pretty good. And the reason why it's actually worked out well is that normally when I go to an office or I go to a branch, uh, it's just the husband that we're talking to. Uh, the wife normally just doesn't come into the office. And, and I've seen that you know, with these WebExes, I've got participation from both. And it, it's been really kind of fun, uh, you know, having these WebExes and having the wife there, being able to kind of input and hear, you know, all the different things that we're talking about because there, there can be some very different views as far as, you know, different aspects of retirement that, uh, you know, change from, from husband to wife. So uh, it's been fun that way, uh, just being a lot, you know, more interactive. And I'll tell you, I had a, I had a client meeting uh, about a month ago uh, with a uh, client that was, uh, they were part of RBC, but they also had some, some money at another institution and, uh, they were looking to consolidate. So they were pretty much, you know, asking each of us to, to kind of give our spiel uh, as to, you know, what we can offer. And, um, so, you know, I get through our, uh, conversation, you know, going through the wealth plan and, and we get to the very end and the wife says, she goes, you know, she goes, you really listened to what we wanted to do. Uh, you, you understood, you know, you, you're, you're taking all that in. Um, we just, we've never had anybody do that with us. They've always wanted to tell us, you know, here's your performance, here's this. And, you know, you, you're trying to make things happen uh, that we are, that's important to us. And uh, that, that really made me feel good is, you know, the fact that the clients were coming to us and saying, you know, and that's our job. I mean, that's what we, that's, that's what we do uh, is listening to what, you know, our clients want and then, and enacting via, you know, either financial planning or whatever, uh, the path to put them on in order to achieve the things that they want to achieve. So, yeah, so okay. that's typically, you know, what, what that looks like. Um, and like I said, it's, it's been a real, uh, I, I absolutely love the engagement uh, that we have with, with our clients. You know, Rich, one of the things that we have that I think is really unique uh, in our wealth plan is what they call the play zone. And what are you afraid of? And allows you mm-hmm. to uh, well tell them what it does. Yeah, and so again, we talk about the interactivity of of the plan. So once we've established kind of who they are, so under the about you section, you know, who who they are, what they want, what resources they have, um, we run our first analysis uh, and we run that current scenario and we get a probability success score. Well, then what we do is we look at it and we say, okay, were we happy with that? Is that a, is that a good probability of success. Now, a lot of times, uh, you know, we get probabilities of success in, in the 90s, which is fantastic. It means we've got a lot of flexibility. Uh, sometimes we have probabilities in the 60s, uh, which is, again, it's okay. It's just a matter of, you know, where are we going to start? Then what we do is we move into what's called our recommended scenario. And it's in that recommended scenario where we have access to some of these tools. Now, the great thing about these tools is that clients of ours, uh, when they log into their, uh, it's called wealth management online, they're able to actually go in and do some of the things that we do interactively during our conversation. So the play zone, the what are you afraid of? This is all uh, available to our clients to be able to go in on any time they want and really see where they're at and just kind of move play around. 
So the play zone is exactly that. So what, what happens is I've got a bunch of slider bars uh, that I have the ability to put money in and out of the different goals that we have. So in other words, maybe that basic spending goal, maybe it's, let's say, $75,000. What if that 75000 is kind of their all-in number? And they're probably going to slow down and maybe maybe not spend it that, that seventy five. Well, then what we're going to do is we're going to put some money into that additional spending bucket. So let's say we take the 75 and we drop that down to, to 50 and we put 25,000 in our additional spending bucket that only goes for, say, 10 to 15 years in retirement, and then it'll go away. But that's what we do. We go in there and we actually fine-tune the plan uh, and work with our, with our clients to say, what do you feel comfortable with? Are you comfortable with a, with a 75% probability? Or do you want it to be into the 80s and 90s? And we kind of maneuver through using the play zone to be able to do that. And then likewise, once we've established kind of that recommended scenario, so the start of the path, you know, what we do is we, we, are, um, we do an annual, at least an annual review with our clients. And it's during that annual review where we're going to revisit the wealth plan. And before we, you know, establish kind of what our starting is, that's, the, that's what we do is we customize it. Um, and then what we do is we, we go into the what are you afraid of section, and now we can stress test it against some things. So what happens if inflation goes up? What happens if the market, let's say our returns, uh, we're not, we're, we can stress test it against lower returns. We can even stress test it to show what happens if there's a health care event, whether it's long-term care or whether, whatever it might be. And let's say that event happens at age 80 and lasts for five years and it's going to cost an extra $100,000 or even more. How does your plan react to something like that if it were to happen? And that's really, again, it really gives our clients peace of mind when we go and do these things with them. And they can see, you know what, even if that were to happen, we're good. You know, maybe we might have to make some slight adjustments, uh, but that's, again, why we do this at least on an annual basis with our clients. So, that's kind of how we use that, and really what we then do is establish what that, what that path is in the year or six months if something happens. And I, we always tell our clients, hey, listen, if in three months something life-changing happens, let us know. We'll go back in and revisit the plan. It's not like we have to wait a full year. Um, and, and that's a, what I always tell them, too, is this isn't a uh, set and done. This isn't a one and here you go, good luck. This is an ongoing process that we're going to you know, review with you. Um, so that's that's really how how we um, you know do that and how we use our different tools within the wealth fund. So that it it allows you to you know basically see what happens with your worst fears and uh, and exactly. keep going right. So exactly once we get this exactly. once we get all this information we put it into the computer. Uh, how do we deliver the plan? Yeah. So. A lot of times, um, you know, and I'm, I've been in the, in the industry for, for almost, you know, over 20 years, and I remember when we first started doing this, it was all delivered by paper. I mean, you were given a report, and it was usually like 100 pages, uh, and, you know, you kind of you reviewed it with the client, and you said, here you go, good luck, I'll see you, you know, and whatever. Um, that's not what we do uh, at RBC. We do it interactive. So, again, you either come into the office, we'll put it up on the screen in, in the conference room, or we'll do it via WebEx. And it's, it's, like I said, it's been fantastic doing that. But the great thing about it doing it interactive like that is that the tool itself has so many different components, so many different things that we can do uh, when we do it interactively. When you, when, you, when you receive a report and you're looking at it, it's static. You can't open up, you know, a section. You can't 
dig further into a, a report or a graph. You can do that online. You can do that when you're doing it interactively. So, you know, when I show your, your spending, uh, I can highlight each one of the different columns and it'll tell me exactly how much is going to come from Social Security, how much is going to come from your, you know, RMDs, your required minimum distribution, how, many, how much is going to come from a pension or some other guaranteed income. So doing it interactively, and I, I will tell you, what we use, it's, it's not a proprietor software. This is a software that's used by a couple different firms. However, I've been told and, and from clients and from, from other people that, you know, hey, this, looks, this looks really familiar, um, and, but I can't quite remember exactly how I saw it, but you're doing it so much differently because we're doing it interactively rather than just printing it off and having a report in front of you uh, to look at. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that, that's a really big advantage that we do um, with RBC on how we use our softwares that we do it interactively so that the client can actually customize and, and see it um, you know, right in person. Hey, Rich, thanks for your time. If you'd like to have a conversation with Rich and I, go to my webpage, you know, go WHK1420 down to Smart Investor Show, goes right to my webpage, and just hit the contact me. But thanks again, Rich. Can we have you back? Absolutely. Look forward to Great. Uh, we may, may do that in the next couple of months, and uh, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me, Tim. All right. All right. We'll be right back. Enjoyed our uh, our, our uh, segment there with Rich Matthews, the great guy. Uh, he's a hockey player. That, that explains a lot. He's he's a tough guy. You know, he's uh, he really he really likes to get things right, and he works hard at it. And uh, so, if you'd like to have a conversation with Rich and I, please call. Anyway, uh, you know, I've, I've been looking at the S and P 500, and um, you know, with over half of the S and P 500 results in the full year forecast from the bottom up is now tracking at 225 that's up another dollar from a week ago so the earnings are coming in strong now <laughs> what happens to the stock after those earnings is fairly surprising because about 40 percent of the cases they're going down uh 27 percent of the cases the price has dropped a percent or more and so usually when you see that there's a weakening there's a lack of liquidity in the market and that is usually caused – look, the Federal Reserve is letting the bond market do their job as far as I'm concerned. And um, so I, th I think that resiliency of the earnings that, that we've, we're seeing, um, you know, we're, we're seeing um, a, kind of a move, okay? And, and some of the early sectors I'm seeing is technology still up there, but energy is leading the way, obviously. And then, uh, uh, and then healthcare is starting – I'm starting to see some bottoms in healthcare. And look, healthcare has been down for several reasons for the last couple of years. First, we had the Hillary comment back in 2015, and then the Fed chairman's com comment about biotechnology. And so they wiped out the market. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Fed chairs aren't supposed to say that. Uh, anyway, but what's happened in the last couple of years is you've got to understand during a pandemic, if you're a biotechnology company, you can't get people to come in to, to, try your product, okay? So the tests that they have to, you know, they have to phase one, phase two, and phase three tests, they can't get them enough people. 
The second thing is people aren't coming for procedures. You know, right before Christmas, I had a shot in my knee, all right? And, uh, you know, my knee is kind of, uh, I was trying to be a sports hero when I was younger, and and uh, I've blown it out a couple times. And, and uh, you know, I asked him, I said, if this doesn't work, <laughs> when can I get in to get knee surgery? And they said, October. <laughs> so, you know, they're not, they're, they're not, doing the procedures, uh, you know, procedures like defibrillators, heart shockers are down 35% because people don't want to come in. Uh, you know, even, you know, uh, valve replacements, which now can be done through your leg, okay? They don't have to open up your chest anymore. Um, they're down, okay? So people are still frightened of the pandemic. They're frightened to go to the hospital, and, you know, maybe they should be. But if healthcare turn, you know, if, if this goes away, Healthcare may be one of the biggest beneficiaries, okay? So got to keep an eye on that. It's also dead last in dynamic asset level investing with our friends uh, from uh, Dorsey Wright. Now, I was listening to Tom Lee this week at Fundstrat, and he he's a very bright guy. He's a CFA, uh, you know, he was J.P. Morgan's uh, head strategist, and I, he was the top uh, ranked by institutional uh, investor every year since 1998. So he's a smart guy. And he thinks there's a violent case for upside potential uh, at the end of February. And he's probably right. And, you know, he has a list of names that uh, I think are really good. And, and by the way, a lot of these names are the same names that Lori Calvacina likes, uh, who, who's our strategist. And she was, I, you know, I took from her notes about, uh, uh, you know, what the, the S&P 500 is doing. So it should get kind of interesting there. And remember, uh, this year, there's only three sectors that are in the black. There's energy, which we pounded the table on right about this time last year. Financials, which we pounded the table on last summer, uh, summer ago, and they, they're up big. And then consumer staples. Nothing else is up. All right. So it's a tough year. Uh, and, and just remember that, you know, when you're when you're looking at things. But remember what we talked about several weeks ago. We said when the volatility index gets over 37, which it was, all right, the returns over the next several months are very good. You know, uh, the, the the worst time it happened, we had a 12.5% uh, loss, okay? But, I mean, we've we've had 35% gains over the next six months, and the average is about 13. And then over 12 months, it's like 22. The best was 48, and the worst was negative 40. That just happened in, in, uh, in the 1972 timeframe. So you uh, remember that. Uh, by the way, this is a live show, so if you have a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. So what's the big news this week? Well, the European Central Bank turned hawkish, okay? Uh, and they which they have basically ruled out interest rate increases. Uh, they adopted a very hawkish tone that took the financial markets by surprise, by the way. And then we had... The White House saying everybody leave uh, Ukraine, and I think what the the White House is trying to do is talk about Putin's strategy over the air, so that Putin does, there's no you know he doesn't have any chance of surprising anybody. So you know that's a, that hawkish tone and the hawkish tone coming out of the Fed means that hey folks if you're looking for easy monetary policy for the next 12 months it probably ain't going to happen. All right so. You know, I think you want to look. I, I did notice that some of the, uh, you know, I've been talking about this. Some of the 
emerging markets and the European markets are starting to, you know, the, the prices are going up, but the relative strength hasn't been so hot. But this week, what I thought was very interesting is commodities rose to the top of the dynamic asset level investing. Okay, so uh, that's what our friends Dorsey Wright provides us with. And so it's the top asset class now, above domestic equities. Now, domestic equities are second still, so, you know, that's something to think about. And uh, look, I, I want to say a couple things. You know, if you, if you draw an uptrend, and uh, this goes back to 2010, by the way, um, when, when you have an uptrend for an index or a stock, remember, you, you draw a line, if you're a chartist, over the higher highs and then over the higher lows. Now, sometimes you break below that. You've got to be very careful when that happens. And sometimes you break above that. That's what's happened in, two, in 1998 when Clint Greenspan talked about irrational exuberance. Well, we're above that line again. All right. Now, the difference is we're not 20% above like we did in 2000. All right. We're above it. And uh, you've you got to watch 13,000 on the NASDAQ composite. All right. Uh, because if you don't, you know, between the uptrend line and the downtrend line, it's 22%. So you've got to be careful. And that may mean that, uh, you know, the FANG stocks have been impenetrable. You know, they've, they've had body armor on them and nobody's hit them. Well, that would be, that would be the main cause, I think, if they started to give it up. So uh, the FANG stocks, some of them are looking a little bit shaky. Um, you know, I'll leave that up to you. Now, the other thing that uh, I've, I've been looking at and, uh, I thought, you know, is the 10-year yield, and it does look like it's going higher. The momentum has been bouncing a little bit, but it's still not to the overbought lane. So, you know, it could get up to 2%, and it, it hit 2%. You know, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And, you know, 2.13% coincides with a 62% Fibonacci retracement. Fibonacci was a great mathematician back in, in Italy who uh, – who looked at the markets and, and had all these numbers put together and things happen time and time again. It's, it's actually psychology with mathematics. Uh, the other thing I noticed is, is the German 10 year yields. They've been a major bottoming for like four years now, and now have broken the downtrend line and have broken, made a higher, higher low. So that's the first time that's really happened in probably three or four years. So, uh, another situation that you have to pay close attention to. And look, um, you know, I, we talked about the Russell 2000 breaking out and then breaking down support. And uh, there, the, the index itself after January sell-off, you know, there's a lot of higher risk growth stocks have collapsed back to near their 200-day moving average, or two, actually 200-week moving average, and we're likely to bounce. Uh, so the question is how big a bounce. And the other thing is, uh, look, if you look at the indexes of the banks, uh, and, or, well, let's talk about energy. Energy is, you know, surged from support. And I think you should wait because it's way above its 200-day moving average. So let it come back a little bit. While the banks continue to trend higher from support, and it's not only banks, but it's also the brokerage firms, by the way. So um, keep that in mind. And hotels. You know, I, I just – I wrote down five names. I got to look into them over the weekend. Uh, hotels are starting to break out, and I think that's something you have to pay pretty close attention to. Uh, now, if I looked at the FANG index, 
you know, it broke down out of a triangle. Okay, so some people have been asking me about that, and the relative strength starting to give a little bit about give up. Now, I got a call from Harry last week, and Harry said, "Hey Tim, you know, you talked about the the bearish bullish ratio being at t- minus twenty nine, uh, actually twenty nine point eight eight. You know, I thought the market was supposed to rally. Well, it did the first part of the week. Number one, number two. Remember, I said it takes about thirty days for the rally to start." And that's probably the end of February. That's when uh, Tom Lee was talking about. So maybe we're right on that one. Hey, let's take a break. Remember, if you have a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. Just tuned in. This is the Smart Investor Show, and I had a question uh, come over uh, my email. And Jim, what about rate hikes? Well, look, usually rate hikes means that the economy is doing better. Okay, so in all but two cases, when there's been rate hikes to a certain point, the market keeps going up. Now, if the Fed overdoes it, then the market goes down, and it goes down fairly quickly after that. But it's usually it takes about a year to a year and a half, just so uh, Michael, who, who sent the, uh, the email in. Uh, and I think, you know, with the CPI as high as it is, uh, they, they almost have to do something. The question is, is that because of the, what the Congress did by throwing money out there, or is it because of the economy? And we don't know which one. But we do have Brian on the line. Brian, how are you? Hey, Tim, how are you? I'm great. What's new? Great. Hey, I was wondering, um, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Like, do you have any exposure to it, or do you consider it an asset class even, or do you treat it more like almost like a stock? Uh, you know, I, I I chart it, okay, but I don't recommend it because uh, I'm not really allowed to. The bank, you know, the RBC does not participate there. Uh, okay. But, you know, I, I would suggest that, uh, if you look at a point and figure chart, it's still below its uptrend uh, downtrend line. And if you look at a regular chart, it kind of broke that downtrend line. So they're two different types of charting. Uh, that's all I can tell you. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it has some wild swings. You know, it went from a thousand to twenty-one thousand, back to three thousand, uh, back to thirty-five, back to twenty, back to sixty-eight, and then back to you know thirty-eight. So. Uh, if you're going to play the game, you've got to put your stirrups on and your seatbelts buckled, you know? There's an option. Buying the miners is an option, too, sometimes, like you would do with gold sometimes, too. You know, you could buy the miners instead of the actual Bitcoin. Well, yeah, you could do that, and I have done that. Uh, but I, I will say this, Brian. Um, you know, uh, do you remember any gold miners? From San Francisco? Yep. No. <laughs> but I bet you remember I bet you remember Levi Strauss and Ace Hardware, huh? True. That, th- those are the companies that supplied the miners. So nobody – there are several miners who got rich, but nobody can remember them. But everybody remembers Ace Hardware and Levi Strauss. So there you go. Interesting. Uh, the yeah. miners might be the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I'm not, right, I don't know any of anything. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate – I mean, yeah. thanks, Tim. I appreciate your help. All right. Have a great day. Anyway, so we're 
we're uh, talking about the bullish percent now, and it's, as we do every week, and the bullish percent is simply a risk gauge, okay? It, it's, it, it allows us to be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top, which is what you're supposed to do. And it was designed uh, by a gentleman back in the 20s, and uh, he, he, you know, point and figure charting was the way to chart back then. And it's still a great way to chart. You know, Dorsey Wright still on every trading desk in the planet. And uh, what it does is it just allows you to see uh, where you are. Okay, so when when it, you know, like back in March of 2020, we got the four. That's the lowest number I've ever seen including 1987, including 1990, including 2002, okay? So it was lowest number I ever saw, all right? You buy with both hands. People are scared to death. That's good, okay? When they're scared to death, that's when you buy big, big time. When it gets over 70, and, you know, we talked about it this time last year. It was at 80. And we said, you know, you've got to be careful up here. you got to hand the ball off to the fullback. And uh, – it's it's it moved all the way down to 34. Now it's it's rallied back up to 48. Uh, it took it on the cuff a couple. I think it was down two and a half percentage points uh, this week. But it's still in the column of X's. What do X's mean? X's means we have we're we're in an accumulation phase. Just so you know, accumulation happens a lot slower than distribution. Column of O's means we're in distribution where we were for quite a long time there uh, in January. So now. We are in a column of X's. I think the best thing is the over-the-counter index is in a column of X's, but it's at 33, so it's a pretty good position to be buying things. So the world index is still in a column of O's. That's why I'm saying, you know, uh, earlier in the show, I talked about the emerging markets and European markets look good, but the, the relative strength isn't there yet, you know? So you gotta, that's what you want to look for. Uh, now, the dollar's looking a little shaky. Uh, you know, I've got... I could talk about it, all the technical stuff, but it's a little look a little shaky right now. And if it were to decline, you know, nobody's talking about gold. Yet it ain't going down. There's a big bid underneath gold, and we'll find out. But we have Terry on the line. Terry, how are you? Yeah, hi. Um, I had a question about uh, maximizing my RMD. I'm 73, and my wife is uh, 67. We're both retired, and our income comes from stocks and annuities. And we anticipate that our income will be about uh, 80000 uh this year. And we file jointly. We take standard deductions. So I think our adjusted gross income is around fifty four, fifty five thousand. 55000 And my question is, how can I maximize my qualified uh, charitable distribution so that I'm not, you know, I like to give to charity, but I also need to take some out to live on? Is there a formula or something that you can use to say, okay, I should give this much away based on my income and, you know, still be charitable? Uh, yeah, we, that's what we do in a wealth plan. Uh, <laughs> so okay. if, if you put that into a computer, there, it will generate that for you in seconds, you know, uh, but you've got to do the, the hard work first. It, uh-huh. It's also a question, uh, do you have an accountant? I have, uh, someone who does my, my taxes, uh, but I, uh, I'm not sure if he's an accountant. He's not a, I'm not sure if he's a fiduciary or not. Yeah, the, the problem is there. You know, look, a wealth plan would do that for you, uh-huh. okay? Uh, but the, the the problem is, is uh, if I tell you that number, uh, I'm not signing your tax form. <laughs> oh no, that's that's so, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, we I'm can just, do I'm that just for about, you. 
someone told me that yeah, was we like could do that for you, and and uh-huh. I can show you how to do it. Uh, but it it you know it it involves a wealth plan, and then you should have one anyway. But um, okay. yeah, the wealth plan does that for us pretty regularly. It allows for charitable deductions and all that okay. good stuff. And uh, but it's a formula within the computer that does it in like two it seconds is. once we get all the input. Oh, in. okay, okay. So I should actually talk right. to my I should actually talk to the person who does my taxes and find out if he's uh, capable of doing something like that, and if he's not, to yeah. um, come to you or something well, like that, huh? Yeah, Terry, do you have a wealth plan? I don't. I deal deal strictly yeah. through my uh, you know my uh, my uh, brokerage firm. I think. Yeah, so you know that's something you want to think about. Okay, a wealth plan. That's something you can do, right? Yeah. Oh. We okay. Do it all the time. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye. Anyway, so. Uh, the small caps are actually kind of cheap at this point. They're, they're, uh, you know, they've been, they've been beaten up. Now the question is, are they going to hold? And uh, that's the million dollar question. Now, you know, if I look at the sector rate rankings in dynamic asset level investing that our friends at uh, Dorsey Wright provide us, energy's first, financials are second, technology is third, but slipping quick. Uh, technology's lost like a hundred votes in the last month for obvious reasons. And then industrials and consumer cyclicals. Now, dead last are communication services and healthcare, but they're not going down, okay, with the exception of some of the smaller biotechs, and that's because there's no bid there. Uh, and by the way, th- they may be, have the biggest upside if we get out of this pandemic because people will get back to testing and, and living normal lives. The other thing we have to talk about is that commodities jumped over domestic equities this week. So commodities look better than domestic equities, all right? So domestic equities are now in second place. They've been in first place for a while. So just keep that in the back of your head. Uh, And, you know, look, uh, somebody asked me, well, do you overweight technology? I think you do, but we saw some signs of improvement here. But I look at some charts, and like I said earlier, the NASDAQ composite is still above the uptrend line, all right? And that that means that there's – between the uptrend line and the and the uptrend line on the downside is about 22%. So if we ever went back down there, uh, we'd have a problem. Hey, you, there's lots of ways to correct. Okay, there's price, and there's time. All right, so you know it could be a time correction. I don't know. Uh, they're up far enough where it could you know be interesting. Now, a couple things I did notice. You know, um, the metals. Uh, I was looking at a couple of the ETFs and the metals. And the metals broke out, and I, I'm not telling you which ETF it is, but, and I'm also looking at some of the SIN stocks. Some of the SIN stocks are starting to uh, break out. <laughs> For those of you who don't mind uh, gambling and, and tobacco and that type of thing uh, and drinking, um, there's, there's several stocks in that area that look pretty good. Now, people have been asking me about the global stuff, and, you know, I did, like, I gave you a list of stuff that I, I saw, you know, the countries I saw that looked pretty good. And what I did was I looked at several ETFs, and, and the one, one of the ETFs looked good. And I noticed Greece looked uh, was interesting. It broke a double top the other day, uh, and I'm not going to tell you which one I'm, I'm looking at because that's for my clients. But um, now fixed income, uh, the Treasury yields made a strong move higher, and uh, the 10-year especially reached uh, it was two percent for a while there Friday. I don't know if it closed there or not, but uh, you know so. <laughs> People get beat up in, in in bonds. I mean, bonds are down 3%, and that's not why you buy bonds, <laughs> all right? So I'm going to go back, and, you know, Jeffrey Gunlock was on TV the other day. He's a pretty smart guy, double line. Uh, and 
you know, he talked about floating rates. Now, we talked about that three weeks ago. Okay, so floating rates and, and senior debt are probably uh, a pretty good place to be looking at right now. Uh, now, we're not, you know, the momentum numbers are not really overbought in fixed income. So uh, now remember, you buy fixed income when the yields are up. All right. So just remember, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to wait for the Fed. That's a dumb move. The market is doing the Fed's job for them. By the time the Fed raises rates, it'll be a yawn. Okay. Uh, now, crude oil has been very, very positive for seven weeks, and, and, and gold has just turned up. And corn, there's a lot of talk about ethanol lately. All right. A lot of uh, talk about ethanol. And the one thing I'll say is crude oil. Uh, you know, pull back and then reverse back up. So it'll be interesting with this Ukraine thing to see how, how far oil goes. I would suggest, you know, in, in our zone theory that, uh, you know, we talk about all the time on the show, a lot of oil stocks are in zone six and five, which means they're overbought. You like to buy things in one and two, so you might want to wait on some of them. Hey, let's, uh, we'll be right back uh, with some insider information. And uh, the, the number here is 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Just tuned in to Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes, and if you think we've had some extreme moves in the in the daily Standard and Poor's this year, uh, we're at 38 percent, 39 percent now as of Friday. So uh, we're getting up there. You know, the the most we ever had was in 2002, which was a heck of a year. Uh, we were up 50. We had 50 percent of the moves, and then 2008, which was 58, uh, 53, and then we had 46 in 2009. Now, remember. On the show in 2009, the week that we bottomed, we said we're at a bottom. Before Mark Haynes did, by the way, on TV. Uh, so it's not very often that you get over 44% of extreme moves. I mean, back in 2020, we had 44%. So we're cruising. We're getting close is what I'm trying to tell you in so many words. Uh, we'll leave it at that. And, you know, we always talk about insiders. And uh, why do we pay attention to insiders? Because, look, what we're trying to do, uh, we start with a wealth plan, and then we and then what we're trying to do is uh, put together a strategy piece for you, so you, you understand the big picture, and then we move into technical analysis, because what we're trying to do is combine the fundamentals with the technicals. Okay, that's where you'll make much more money in the long run. And then we add the insiders, because if the insiders start to buy, we've got to pay close attention. And, you know, we, there's a group called OMC uh, Growth Holdings, and uh, there's a company called Runaway Growth Finance, and these guys have been buying like crazy. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many times they've bought. And this week, they bought a bunch more. Uh, they bought 2.2 million and 1.8 million, and they've been averaging about 17,000, maybe 14,000 shares uh, in the last week or so. And they continue to buy. They've been buying for like two months. A lot, okay? So we'll just say that. And, you know, last week I mentioned uh, Dustin Muscovitz, and he bought some more stock this week. He bought a million two shares again this week. All right? So, he, he you know, he uh, purchased uh, 200 uh, – well, no, on, on the 9th he pur purchased 500000 On the 10th he bought 500000 And then on the 9th 
he bought another, uh, I'm sorry, on the 11th, he bought another 250,000. So since Christmas, he's bought 8.75 million shares. Now, this is a guy that owned 4.5% of the company. He's also the CEO, chairman, and president. He's also one of the founders of Facebook. Okay, he's one of the, you know, guys that started it, helped start it. And then um, we actually had uh, Innovia, Innoviva, uh, the, the company uh, actually bought back their own stock, about $18 million worth. You always like to see that, especially uh, when the stock was up to, you know, they the stock got beat up and, and they bought it and then it bounced big right after they bought it. So I think you want to wait on that one, obviously, but... And then Penny Mac Financial Services, you know, which was around 70 bucks uh, just a month ago, uh, is down at around, you know, 58.62 now. Uh, we had multiple insiders buy, uh, you know, like $8 million each, uh, mostly all directors. Uh, there was one, two, three, four, five, six directors bought, plus FMF, <laughs> MFN Partners. Sorry, it's Saturday, folks. Uh, and, and then also... Uh, Qualtrics, which is a software company, uh, we had uh, a gentleman, a director. Um, now, the, it's it's uh, SLTA group, but it's uh, the, there's a certain director that, that works there that had bought it, so he bought 5.2 million. Also, uh, Mersana Therapeutics, which just got creamed, it was uh, 10 bucks. It's now 4.30. We had uh, Andrew Matt, Andrew Hack. I'm sorry, a director buy five million dollars worth, um, and then. Uh, LDI, which is Lone Depot, which has just got killed. It was like a $20 stock, now four. Uh, we had Anthony Asai, who's the chief executive officer, buy $3.6 million worth. Now, he owns – he bought a million shares. He has $3 million. And, and then we had uh, Leslie's, which is a home improvement company. We had their chief executive officer buy $1.9 million worth of stock. Oh, and I, I th- forgot, uh, Anthony Asai uh, bought – Another 1.2 million about three days earlier. So he's been buying. Now here's something that's interesting. This stock just got killed, and it's the first buy I've seen in a long time. But David Dorman, who's a director, and Dan Shulman, who's the president and CEO of PayPal, each bought about a million dollars worth of stock. Uh, so that's that's very 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 interesting. So uh, kind of a um, a scenario where they keep buying, and and you love to hear when people keep buying. <laughs> uh anyway so look uh we continue to talk about the four-year cycle on the show you know if you look at a monthly chart usually you know the second year is a tough one uh the first year is the bottom the second year is a big move up the third year well the bottom is in place then we have one year of, of big time gains then the second and the third year are kind of tough years because that's when policy comes into play and the, the you know the president doesn't care until the fourth year when he's going to get elected what happens and uh, you know so we're in that spot right now and uh, so it, it probably be a, a tough pattern remember we're up at the top of the the trend lines for the S and P five hundred we're above the trend lines for the Nasdaq Composite so it's got you know we're overbought. Okay, we we went from a bottom to a top very very quickly, but a lot of money made, and it'll be it'll be tough for a while. And we haven't had a ten percent correction. Uh, now we've had one in the Nasdaq, but we still haven't had one in the S and P five hundred. So we'll see what happens. But look, I 
think we're going to be in a choppy training range in 2020. And I, you know, somebody asked me last week, uh, you know, what, what's my uh, target? And uh, I'm not very good at targets. So uh, I'll just say that I, I'm more, you know, I, I don't care about the indexes. I want the individual stocks that I own to do well. Um, look, we, we could have a very sharp snapback rally coming up here. You know, the, the, the volatility index is again at 27, 28. Uh, you know, it, it could be tough for a while, um, but we're, we're, we're in an oversold and momentum are starting to pick back up. And look, the U.S. 10-year yields are showing, you know, I mean, we broke to 2% Friday. Uh, the dollar is showing some very evidence of peaking, okay? So, you know, commodities, if the dollar goes down, commodities are going up, folks. All right, it's that simple. It's, there's, no, there's no question in my mind. And I think oil is kind of overbought right now. The oil stocks are overbought, so I think you want to wait on those a little bit. Uh, you know, Biden did talk about ethanol, two speeches. Ethanol is an interesting play, I think, right now because, uh, you know, he's not going to open up the pipelines again, and he's he's cut off drilling uh, in Alaska and a couple other places by executive order, uh, which no comment. But, look, you have growth and high beta, and high beta is value now, Okay. We had a strong snapback from an oversold level in growth. I don't know if it's going to continue, but growth versus value says there's a long-term shift away from growth towards value. All right? So just remember that. Uh, you know, the low volatility is showing early signs of bottoming, and uh, the the higher beta stuff is, is in a kind of – it's a tough to figure out what to do with them right now, okay? Okay. Uh, but, you know, like oil and financials are leading the way. Those are big-time value stocks. And you know what? Oil very rarely goes up when there's a recession in the future, okay? Uh, it starts going down well before the recession. So I don't understand, and, and I apologize about this, but I think everybody else is looking at the same thing and saying the same thing. Here we have oil going to a new high, commodities breaking out. But the bond market isn't really telling us that, hey, you know, because we're, we're getting the flattening of the yield curve. We get the five uh, year at 1.1, we get the 10 year at two, and we got the 30 year at 2.3. So that's a flattening yield curve. So I don't know, that usually doesn't go hand in hand. So something's got to give. I'm not sure which way. But, uh, you know, I think you got to look at, you know, if I were you and I had bank stocks, I'd be looking at key levels of support because the S&P 500 is at the top of that, that list, okay? So, uh, you know, the trend remains positive. Uh, I just think the advanced decline line doesn't look too good. The daily S&P 500 looks pretty oversold, and the momentum's starting to turn a little bit. So that should be interesting. And, you know, we talked about the divergence in the, uh, in the uh, NASDAQ, so we'll just leave that alone for now. In the meantime, what would I do, okay? Uh, look, dividend growth stocks are cheap, you know, they were big in the Obama years because we had no growth. During the the, uh, the time that Mr. Trump was in the office, we had growth for the first year, and then obviously we had some problems with the pandemic. But, the, you know, we're going back to low growth, folks, uh, especially as they start to raise interest rates. And dividend stocks are about two standard deviations below their normal valuations. That's where I'd be looking the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, that type of thing uh, is kind of interesting. Now, so 
somebody, I, you know, I mentioned small caps earlier. I just say that the, the Russell 2000 has a lot of resistance at 2100. Uh, so in order to get through there, it's going to take a lot. And, uh, you know, we do have sentiment extremely bearish right now. So remember that. So, uh, you know, the, the bull bear ratio is, is a contrary uh, indicator, and it's very bullish right now. But remember, it takes about a month to, to get through, okay? So don't go, go in buying right away. You know, uh, uh, look for other things. In the meantime, uh, what I would suggest is the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list for those guys who are retired right now. Remember, when you buy income in, in dividends, you, pay, you don't pay regular income on your taxes. You pay 18%, 15% for the dividend, and 3% for Obamacare, okay? So you don't pay regular income. Uh, so it's a great way to, to add to your current income in your, in your portfolio. Anyway, uh, look, I, if you would like a wealth plan or like to talk to Rich and I, uh, we'd be glad to get you on a WebEx call. Uh, you know, he's, he's a great guy and he's very knowledgeable about wealth plans. And he, believe me, I, I thought I knew the wealth plan until he started messing around with it the other day. And he made, <laughs> I was taken aback at, uh, how much he knew. Uh, he's, he's, he's a great guy. Hey, one other thing, there's a lot of money coming out of junk bonds and it's usually a, a sign you got to be careful. So in the, remember dividend growth, prime income is a great time to start looking at some of these things. If you like the business owner's guide to transition planning, let us know. Uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff. Go to WHK 1420 local podcast down to smart investor show. It take you directly to my web page. Uh, I do pick up the phone, so if you want to call me, let me know. It, the phone number is everywhere. Uh, in the meantime, have a great weekend. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.